Hi everyone, welcome to HubShots episode 255. In this episode, we talk about Fortune Cookie Tweets, HubSpot Workflow Minimaps, and HubSpot Task Use. You're listening to Asia Pacific's number one HubSpot focused podcast, where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks and strategies for growing your sales, service, marketing, and operations results. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and with me is Craig Belly from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? I'm well, Ian. And did you see this quote, uh, this tweet rather from Rand I about did. fortune cookie tweets? <laughs> How good is this? I've been looking for a term to describe tweets or updates that just have no value, zero value. You know those things that they try to sound profound, but they're just they're just nothing. It's just like this is rubbish. And Rand has hit it on the head, hasn't he? Yes, Fortune Cookie Tweets is perfect. And we've got a screenshot in the show notes. Make sure you sign up, folks, hubshots.com slash subscribe. <laughs> got some examples. Now, in some ways, I don't mind these Fortune Cookie Tweets because they're not actually misinformation. They're just zero value information. And look at the last one. It says, let's <laughs> screenshot. If you're in marketing, learn writing. Thank me later. Now, look, it's useless, right? But I'm happy for that. But it's got 44 retweets and 540 likes. Like, what are people doing? Like, this is value for them. But anyway, I think it's I think it's great. Uh, great reference, great description. Uh, I've got some links in there of actually good Twitter threads and good articles that provide real meaty value, unlike those. It's well worth a look. All right, on to our quick shots of the week. And this week we've got something very exciting. HubSpot tasks syncing to Google Calendar is coming and is currently in beta. And I believe this is for Outlook as well. Oh, sorry. Yes, it is Google and that. Yeah, I, I really want this. It's really good. I've looked at the link. I've actually asked to have it applied. It's not in our portal yet, unfortunately. But yeah, you, you create a task in task, HubSpot tasks and then, yeah, sync it straight to your calendar. Fantastic. I know. It's something people have asked me often about it. So I'm glad to see it here. The next one is marketing events, which are also in beta, and they're tracking the attribution of events like webinars, conferences. And we have, we're not going to speak much about it because we have to test this out. But when we do, I'm sure there'll be plenty to discuss and how we utilize it. And finally, Craig? Well, just that they're launching regional data centers. I think that's rolling out in the EU first sometime next year. I know from some of our clients, big enterprise clients we've spoken with, this has been a concern that HubSpot didn't have it and was all hosted in the US. And now I guess, yeah, this is, it's rolling out. So this is good to see and does position HubSpot well in that enterprise market. Correct. All right, onto our HubSpot marketing feature of the week. And this is the HubSpot workflow minimap. What do you think of these, Ian? I love it, especially when you've got complicated workflows going on and the ability to see it. Yeah. I'll just explain what it is. It's a little feature, by the way, hidden up in the top left, show the minimap. All it does is pulls a little fly out that has a really, as the name suggests, mini summary of all your workflow at a high level. So you can then scroll around. So as Ian said, if you've got a complex workflow and it's got branching, it's all over the place, the little mini map makes it clear for navigating around. By the way, this kind of replaces, I know that some people used to do this workaround where they'd export the workflow out. Correct. I don't know if you ever used to do yes. this and export out a little image, then you'd open it in an image That's viewer right. and magnify or shrink and that. So yeah, replaces the need for that. Now, listeners, one thing to be aware of that might highlight through this process is to go back and look at your complex workflows and see if there are ways to improve it or to break it down, as we spoke in last episode, into child workflows. And 
it's a great way to simplify your process and to get a better result with less amount of work and with more growth. All right, on to HubSpot sales feature of the week. And here's another way to speed up some workflow is uh, using task queues. And one of the most common things we see uh, when we talk to sales teams is that they've got this overwhelming amount of tasks to get through. And so one of the easiest ways to tackle that is to have task queues with your follow-up. And so one of the first things you can start off with is batching by, say, type. So we might say, what are the calls you need to do? What are the emails you need to do? And what are the tasks or to-dos you need to do? So you could batch it up that way. Uh, In the example we've shown you in the show notes is someone who has to follow up leads of someone that had done, people that have downloaded a particular pack. And so they were struggling to find out, I've got all these follow-ups, but then I've got all of these new leads that I've got to follow up. So we kind of separated that off as a first instance to go, well, follow up the new leads first and then do the follow-up following that. So what you need to do is make sure you create a queue. And so in this instance, we've created a new leads for follow-up queue. And another new little feature is you can now edit the columns in your tasks. So I encourage you to go in and edit those columns. And some of the columns that I've put in for these guys are that is important because they need to understand the company. So we've shifted the company columns across, but we've also thought, okay, well, are there any associated deals? So it's easy for them to see when they're dealing with this, if there's any activity that's going to lead to some money at the end of it. And finally is making sure that in the task that the type is set correctly. And this is something that can be done incorrectly because tasks get created through workflows. They get created through people creating follow-up tasks and to make sure if you can do this correctly, like marking it as a to-do, a call or an email, when you're going through the task queue, it'll pull up the right function to speed up your process and workflow. So those three things should make a massive difference to your daily life. Hey, bonus points, and for using the term nitty-gritty in the show notes. <laughs> I like that. You want to see the nitty-gritty? You've got That's to right. All right, on to HubSpot service feature of the week, Craig. A simple one, putting this under service hub, but it's actually across all objects. There's the expand all and collapse all. This is just above the timeline, and it's easy to miss for some reason. It's right there. And if you see the screenshot, you'll be like, yeah, how do you miss that? But it's easy to miss. So especially on tickets, especially if you've got emails coming backwards and forwards and you want to expand them all, bang, just expand all and then you can see the whole thread. Or, oh, there's too many, collapse them all. Uh, Just a little tip. But as I said, it appears on contacts, deals, companies, any object, as well as tickets. All right. On to our favorite HubSpot workflow action of the week. This week, I'm talking about the simple branch action. This is one of the actions under the branching category in a workflow. So you've created a workflow, you've got people coming in, now you're adding actions. One is the simple branch. This has, as the name implies, a simple implementation. also has a bit of a complex one as well, Ian. We're only going to talk about the simple side, which is it'll very quickly build out a branch or the branches based on a contact property. So, for example, you might say, okay, simple branch based on, oh, life cycle stage. Bing, splits out. Oh, there's all the branches ready for you to go. Uh, another one might be, oh, owners. That's uh, a branch based on who the contact owner is. Oh, do I have to go through and remember all the different users here? No. Simple branch, contact owner, ping, uh, creates them all. So, that's why it's called simple branch. However, and we're not going to talk about it in this episode, 
you actually don't have to choose a contact property. You can choose the results of actions previously in the workflow. Correct. And that can get quite complex. Yes. So, for example, you can choose based on, oh, what happened when they were in a delay before, or they went to another workflow before, or they had a previous branch, all kinds of things. But just be aware that it's a time saver to use and, yeah, just use it. Great workflow action. All right. On to our marketing tip of the week, Craig. What can we learn from debating champions? All right. So I've been reading this book, Think Again by Adam Grant. Uh, Listeners are probably familiar with him. And he's written a number of books. He wrote Originals, which is an excellent book a years ago. In his book, Think Again, he dives into a whole lot of areas around how, well, just challenging the way we think about things, overcoming biases and stuff like that. But a number of good anecdotes in there. The one that's really struck me lately is he analyzes debating champions. So they go on, you know, these debating, when they're debating a topic. He wanted to work out what do the best debaters do to convince their audience? Here's the thing that came out. If you debate and you have one or two really compelling points, that will actually win or be more persuasive than someone that's got maybe four or five more compelling points, but also has a few weaker points or less compelling points. So what happens is that we, people, you, me, listeners, we tend to associate our overall willingness to agree based on the weakest point. It's almost like the weakest link in a chain is what we fixate on. And so if we hear one or two highly compelling points and that's all, we're like, ah, that's a very compelling argument. We hear four or five, six, we could hear 10 compelling points. Oh, wow, lots more. You'd think that'd win, but they're undermined if there's also one or two other points that are weak. I find that fascinating. And when I was reading it, I was like, no, surely that can't be the case. You'd be overwhelmed with all the compelling points, but no. So looking at debaters. So here's the takeaway. If you're in marketing, how can you apply that? Fundamentally, it's a case of less is more, right? So you've got a landing page, or let's say you've got product features. You could have two really key differentiated features that set you apart. Just stick with that. And yet we as marketers, I know I have this kind of impulse, oh, I want to flesh it out, oh, feature, 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 benefit, 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 and all. And they kind of get weaker and a bit lamer. And it's like, well, it actually undermines you. Fascinating. I think there's a few things you could go back and change after listening to this. It's a good time to go do a content review, Craig. Content review, check your ad copy. That's right. How many times we try and stuff our ad copy with all the benefits and we you know, pull in some lame ass thing at the end. Correct. Undermines the whole piece. All right, on to our insight of the week. Percentages versus percentages, ROI and attribution. You ready for this, Ian? I'm actually going to talk about COVID. Go on. I know I said I'd, I'd never talk about COVID. I'd never talk about politics. I'd never talk about religion on the show. I think we've done all of those, but COVID. <laughs> anyway, because it divides people. And right. I don't really want to divide people on the show because then it detracts from, well, some of the things that you know we can all agree on. However... I'm going to use an example here around COVID and vaccination rates and some results related to it. Possibly, I can hear, I can already hear people ears picking up. Oh, hello, hello, <laughs> could could get could get dangerous here. So this will pick you interested. I'm going to talk about some hypothetical numbers just to illustrate the point, and then I'm going to talk about why, as marketers, we can relate this to the way we use percentages in some of our reporting and decision making. 
But first, I'll, I'll take a step back and I'll tell you how this came up. So a friend of mine drew my attention to a news article that made the claim that a higher percentage of COVID deaths were occurring in vaccinated people versus unvaccinated. And so I found this, well, concerning, but also puzzling. And I wanted to understand it further. Okay. So look, I'm not going to mention the country or the results or anything that he pointed me to, but I just want to highlight the point. Anyway, I did some investigation and here's what I discovered. I discovered that the headline was based on total deaths versus the number of deaths per category, vaccinated versus unvaccinated. So the news headline was misleading. It was simply claiming, oh, more vaccinated people are dying. But here's the way to think about it. So just I'm just using simple numbers to illustrate the point, and hopefully you'll agree. And then we'll talk about how it relates to marketing channels. So let's assume that a country is 100% vaccinated. Ian, then by definition, if one person dies, then 100% of the deaths were vaccinated people. And if you had the headline, oh, look, 100% of deaths are in vaccinated people, you'd be concerned. But of course, when you realize the context, yes, it makes sense. Now consider if the country is 90% vaccinated, i.e. 10% unvaccinated. And let's assume there's three deaths. Two of those deaths are with vaccinated people and one of the deaths is in unvaccinated. So if you had the headline that says twice as many people died who were vaccinated than unvaccinated, it's like, yeah, well, technically that's true. But of course, they're comparing it as a percentage of all people rather than compared to within their category, vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And so then if you do the numbers, would you rather be one of the one in 10 that died from unvaccinated or one of the two in 90 that died? That's one in 45. Okay. So you can see there, once it's within the category, it makes more sense. Which group would you rather be in? Okay. So hopefully that makes sense. The maths makes sense. I've oversimplified it. I don't think any country is at 90% or 100% vaccinated, but just for the, for the numbers. How does this apply to marketing? Because what I've just talked about should make sense and hopefully people don't argue with that, oversimplified as it is. Well, I find this happening all the time. Tell me if you agree, because it's easy to look at our channels and make similar sensational headlines. So how, how many times have you been in a meeting when they've said, oh, look, the majority of our leads are coming from, insert a source, oh, are coming from LinkedIn. That's right. Let's double down on that. Or we've only had three leads from this other channel. It's clearly not working, right? Can you see the problem? It's because it's overall versus within their category. And here's some others. So I'll give you some examples. If you're listening, you can try and put these numbers in your head. But if you spend 10 times as much on LinkedIn, but get five times the leads as Twitter, which channel is better? Or if you get 10 times the traffic from Facebook as you get from YouTube, how do you compare the results? Or if you spend 10 times more on bottom of the funnel campaigns on Google ads as you do on top of the funnel, how do you determine whether it's working or not? I could go on. My point is to bamboozle you so that you realistically, you should be thinking the, the correct answer is I don't know because I don't have enough information mm. to compare to all the other channels Correct. to make a calculation to work it out. So the point is, they're actually complex questions, not simple questions. Oh, we get 10 times as many leads. Oh, well, that's clearly working. No, it's got to be compared within the channel overall. So here's my point. My point is that calculating ROI, because that's ultimately what we're trying to do here, is difficult. It's not just a matter of saying, oh, this number as a percentage of overall, or this number compared to that number, it's actually a number of factors. That requires careful thought. 
requires calculations and it requires resisting the temptation to oversimplify in order to put a number on a slide in your next marketing presentation. I hope that's helpful. It hasn't answered the question, but it's prompted you to do more work, work harder when you're analyzing your channels and your marketing results. That's right. And I think even asking the question, isn't that right, Craig? It's like, well, how much traffic did we get in that channel compared to the other channels? And uh, what was the cost per lead or the cost per contact? These are all questions to be asked to understand. And even non-qualitative questions like what was the quality? So we've been asking this question of sales teams lately is what is the quality of those leads? Because we're testing different audiences on different channels and we're trying to understand, well, which one's better? It might cost us more, but is the sales cycle faster? Is the quality better? Are they more qualified to buy than the ones that are cheaper cost per lead? And these are all the questions that we can ask and find out to give us a better answer and better results, isn't it? And you wanted to highlight, Craig, was with HubSpot's incremental attribution features in the deal attribution card. Well, it's just another reason. Because it requires careful thought and calculations, that's why HubSpot is incrementally helping us with this, with attribution. Because as you just mentioned, you could have a cost per lead. Oh, it's lower on this channel. Yet when you go to looking deals being created, it might be cheaper on another channel. So there's cost per lead, then there's cost per deal, and then of course, cost per customer, and then lifetime value. That's right. So you might have a a much cheaper customer through one channel, but you have a repeat customer through another channel. So it's all hard. They're, They're hard answers to arrive at. And yet HubSpot is incrementally rolling out these attribution features that are giving us that insight that we need. All right. On to our throwback of the week. And a year ago, can you believe it? HubSpot was adding all this geeky stuff into the design manager, Craig, like serverless functions, themes being one of them, and HubSpot folder. Seems so long ago. I know. And here we are a little bit every day. All right. Resource of the week, how to measure content performance. This is very interesting, isn't it? Yeah, SEMrush have done it again. And it's it's actually a good article to read overall, but I wanted to highlight it because then they've got this beautiful little diagram, which they do well. Uh, For all the people that don't want to read the whole article, it just summarizes it really nicely. So get the show notes, folks, and get this, and you can get actually a lot of value just reading through that. I like it because the metrics include four main categories, user behavior, to measure your content performance, engagement, SEO outcome, and then company revenue. There it is. At the end of the line, it's all about revenue. And on to our quote of the week, Craig, from the book you're reading. This is from Hit Refresh by Satya Nadella, who is the CEO of Microsoft. He took over from Steve Farmer in 2014, in case you didn't know. I think this is a wonderful book. And we chatted about growth mindset last week, Ian, and it's significantly permeating our company, our agency at the moment. Uh, so I really like that book, Growth Mindset. Uh, listen to last week's episode. Make sure you listen to that if um, you haven't heard it already. Turns out Satya Nadella implemented this, well, seven years ago in HubSpot. He has reset, it's called Hit Refresh. He's reset HubSpot's underlying foundation to be based on empathy and then embracing a growth mindset for the corporate culture. So this book is just so refreshing, I guess, hit refresh, no pun intended. 
and what I need at the moment, and perhaps that's what other uh, listeners need at the moment, growth mindset, empathy, a trillion-dollar company employing those two attributes. And the quote is, learning to fly is not pretty, but flying is. And I think you used a really good analogy, Craig, before when we were talking, was what he was looking to do was partner with people who were, were I guess, complementary or had a platform that they could essentially have their applications on and then compete with that same business on another sector, like Amazon, for example, where they would compete on the same plane if when we talk about hosting. But on every Amazon device, they might say, we want to have all of our, Amazon, uh, all our Microsoft products like Excel, Word, running on Amazon uh, devices. So that's a really good way to understand what is happening and how to partner well and see that come to fruition. And I thought that was a really great example that you gave me that kind of meshed it all together and made me understand it really well. All right, listeners, again, if you found this useful, we would appreciate if you would share it with someone that you know. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show notes at hubshots.com. And if you're interested in kickstarting your marketing up again, I encourage you to look into the 28-day challenge and we have a cohort going through every month. So if you're interested, you can see that and sign up on the site. Well, Craig, until next time. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. To get the latest show notes, HubSpot tips and resources, sign up at hubshots.com. You can also book time with us to help you grow better with HubSpot.